All right, everybody, welcome back. So uh, today's uh, podcast is just going to be about hunting elk, some stuff like that. Um, and it's dedicated to a guy named Hunter Bradley. He's one of the listeners commented and asked if I'd chat a little bit about it. He knows that I'm a big hunter and a big fisher, so let's get in it. Um, elk are incredible, guys. I mean, they're amazing. And I think his specific question was, how do I hunt massive elk? <laughs> yeah, you tell me, buddy. You tell me. The reason they get that big is because they got to go through some harsh winters. They got to avoid predators. I mean, they've been around. They've been around the game quite a bit. They know. They know what's going on. So you've really got to put some time and effort into these into these elk. I mean, even the little guys, the two-year-olds and three-year-olds, you've still got to put work into them. They still know, right? They're still a wild animal that has to deal with predators all day, every day. You're nothing different. You got to put your time in. So first thing is first, start learning their language. It takes a long time. I mean, I've studied hours and hours, like hundreds of hours now, and I still don't know them. But starting there is a really good place because if you don't understand how they talk, what they say, what to say back to them, you're useless. You might get lucky and get something, but if you really want to hunt elk, understand their language. I would much rather hunt with somebody that understands their language and what they're saying than somebody that is a master with their bow they know the areas left and right. It doesn't matter to me. Even if they have the perfect call in the world, I don't care. You need to know how they talk, okay? Elk 101 is a great YouTube channel to start with. They've got a lot of really good content. Um, so I highly advise going to listen to them. After that, I would say understand the terrain that you're hunting in. Every terrain's a little bit different. Um, you got to know it too. You got to understand where they're moving, what they do in the mornings, what they're doing at night. Um, elk are fairly consistent, not like mule deer, but they're fairly consistent as far as the areas that they go. So you need to know those as well. So go put some time in, lace those boots up and get out in the mountains, start scouting. Okay. Once you have those thing, two things put together, um, obviously you've been practicing hopefully with your bow. Um, my biggest piece of advice for that is aim small, miss small. If you start out at 15, 20 yards and your arrows are about the size of a coffee cup, the spread on them is, what's that going to look like at 30 yards? What's it going to look like at 40 yards? It's just going to get bigger and bigger spreads. And you do not want that. But if you are at 15 and 20 yards and your arrows are all touching or inside of a quarter, that's really good grouping. Let's look at 30 yards. Okay, it's opening up a little bit. Not too bad. Maybe the size of a silver, silver dollar, maybe a little bigger. You get to 40 and 50 yards, maybe that's the size of your of your coffee cup, right? I mean, that is awesome grouping. That's perfect. People get obsessed with making sure that every arrow is touching and it's the tightest groups in the world. Not necessarily. As long as it can really fit inside of a of a fist, you're you're great. Even inside of a dinner plate. I mean, a, a, the vitals for an elk they fit inside of a dinner plate, man. So if you can if you can be consistently doing that at 40 and 50 yards, I think you're okay. But it does not hurt to dial that in. And I would even take it a step further once you've got everything dialed in and you feel like you're pretty decent. I would take it a step further and I would go out one day and I would shoot at 30 yards. See where your your first arrow lands and that's it. Don't shoot another one. 
the reason you're going to do this and go to 40 yards and 50 yards and 20 yards and just do one and one arrow at a time is it's going to be a really good indicator of what your first arrow is going to look like when you're actually hunting because that first arrow needs to count the first shot needs to count you need to know without a doubt in your mind that as soon as you pull that trigger or that release on your bow that arrow or that bolt's going exactly where you want it to go no ifs ands or buts you need to be the point where you would take that same shot a million times over. Okay. Nothing sucks more than being out in the mountains. You had a good first day of hunting. Um, we're, you know, listening to the crackling of a fire and you get these different wails and cries of these animals that have been wounded because people don't know how to freaking shoot. Okay. It's going to happen eventually that, um, you might have a bad arrow that, you know, flinks somewhere, it nicks off a branch and shoots and, you know, hits him in the wrong place. It's going to happen. I've been very fortunate. It has not happened to me yet. And I just keep praying that it'll never happen, but it does happen and you need to be prepared for that. Um, my first bull elk I took two years ago in September, I was with my dad. Um, he had his buddy out with him and, um, he actually brought out his little kid with him. And his little kid, every once in a while, his dad would go, hey, do a call. And his, and the little kid would, you know, with his mouth. And it was so funny. But it was actually pretty decent. It wasn't bad. But um, anyway, it was about 8 o'clock in the morning, something like that. We didn't hear anything. It was a full moon the before. We are like, hey, we're out. Let's go try and make it count. So we start going deeper and deeper and deeper into the woods. And we finally finally get something talking back but it's like 8 39 in the morning i mean it's getting hot things are starting to quiet down nothing was even talking anyway so the fact that we had something i was like dude let's go so <clears throat> we decided to um pursue that elk um you know talk back and forth with it and we finally got it to kind of start coming closer and closer and we would walk you know 50 60 yards call walk a little further call and um, that elk actually started coming closer and closer to us. And so we're like, hey, we might have something. So where we were at, we were in one section of timber. There was kind of this open um, grassy areas, maybe 20 yards. And then it got to some pretty dense forest. Now what's cool is when you're in it, you can see everywhere. But when you're the outside looking in, you can't see crap. Okay. So they had me go set up maybe 10 yards in, maybe five yards in from when that tree line broke. Got set up, got in my position. Um, I had a general direction of where he was. We just started calling and he was getting closer. 150 yards, 100 yards, 90 yards. And about 90, 60 yards out, quiet, nothing. So either he smelled us and got spooked and ran off or he's coming in. So I did my best to make sure that everything was perfect. My arrow was notched. I had picked out several lanes that I could um, take the shot if I needed to. And we just sat and waited. And sure enough, maybe a couple minutes later, you could see these feet start walking. My heart starts going and my heart starts racing. I've never had a buck fever ever, 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 ever. But man, there's something different when you've been working an animal, you've been calling at it, and it's an elk for one and you're archery hunting, you know you have to get it within 15, 20 yards. I mean, something's different about that. The adrenaline's rushing. It's incredible. 
So this elk pops out, and I could have taken the shot when he popped out. He was about 40 yards out, and I was like, you know, I'm going to see how close we can get him. So they keep calling. He goes to 30 yards. Perfect window. I was like, ah, let's see if we can get him closer. 25 yards. At this point, I'm like, okay, he's getting too close. Now I've got to, like, figure something out quick because i got to draw back. So I'm going to create a lot of movement um, and hope he doesn't see me and take the shot. So... Um, I waited for him to walk behind a tree, drew back full draw, was waiting for him, and he saw me. Um, all I know is out of the corner of his eye, he started looking, turned right at me, and I'm full draw, just shaking, because he's staring at me at this point, he's 20 yards from me, and uh, at the time, my dad was like, you know, hoping I was going to take the shot, because he saw me draw back. But they didn't know that he was looking right at me and he was standing right behind a tree. Um, and my family, my dad finally caught on, I think, or made a guess and let out a little ew, mew. And he looked right back at him and then kept walking. And then the next thing you know, I was waiting. He took one big step out and I let that arrow fly. It was incredible. Um, he was maybe 15 yards from me. Perfect double lung shot. Perfect. I mean, I couldn't have asked for anything better. He ran around in a circle there for maybe five seconds, 10 seconds. Um, it was kind of funny. Um, I uh, just knelt down on the ground after I uh, took the shot, um, listened to the whole thing. Um, anyone that's harvested an elk that close to, uh, that close and with a bow or rifle in general too, but um, I mean, you have to listen to, to when they take their last breath, you know, um, I just sat there listening and watching and waiting and, um, it's something you've got to be prepared for. I mean, you're, you're taking a life. You got to be prepared for that and not everybody is, and that's okay, but you got to be prepared for that. Um, it's, um, it's odd, uh, the circle of life, you know, um, but that's where my respect and my love comes for these animals. You know, God to put them on, out on the earth for me to, to harvest and fill my freezer full and to be able to feed my wife and kids. And um, it's just something you got to be prepared for and you got to know is coming and be okay with it. I, I've met quite a few people that take that shot and they successfully get to fill their tag, but they never go back because it was too traumatizing for them or something they couldn't handle. And that's totally okay. But you just have to know that that's part of it. And the difference between somebody that can put up with it and not, um, I think really comes down to the love and respect for the, that they have for the animal. Now you're going to have those guys that are the trophy guys that just want the biggest, the baddest antlers and, um, all to them, you know, but, um, if we can try and reshape that mindset and that attitude to respect and love for the animals, I think it will come across a lot better for those around us. Um, but anyway, get off the hot and heavy stuff there. Um, I was stoked out of my mind. Um, I've only gone hunting a handful of times with my dad growing up, literally just a handful, two or three times or so. Um, but to finally have him there um, to be a part of that, um, that harvest was incredible. It was so cool. Um, I've seen my dad happy a few times, um, but not like that. And, um, 
I, I can only imagine what it's going to be like when I get to take my kids out and have them harvest something. Um, there's several years I gave up my own tag, um, meaning my own opportunity to harvest an animal to let one of my brothers or sisters harvest one or one of my buddies. And the joy that that brings me is way more than if I took the animal. So I can understand the feeling, but I don't think I'll understand it until my daughter or my son does the same. Um, but I'm doing a little YouTube with this now with my podcast. So um, you guys go check out my YouTube channel with it. It's the same uh, Controlled Chaos with Cade. Um, but I've got a little show and tell for you. Don't know if you can see it on camera here, but this is my this was my elk that I took. Um, really, really cool characteristics. If you look at his front tines here, they, they turn down his eye guards. They're kind of cool in the way they do that. Um, I've never seen an elk do that before. And what's uh, what's crazy is my little brother, when he took his bull, it was the same one. It, or not same one. Uh, the antlers did the same thing. They, they did that weird, you know, curved down thing. Super weird. Never seen that before. So it was kind of cool. Um, story on that. <laughs> um, it was maybe a week or two before I took my bull. And uh, it's the same kind of thing. We weren't hearing too much that morning. Um, we had a couple bulls going over here and over there, but nothing was really interested. Nothing was coming out to us. And uh, we hiked up this mountain, went up this little ravine, took a right up to the other side of this mountain. And you could look across and see the other side pretty well. And we had just come from there, literally like 20 minutes before, 30 minutes before. And then we start hearing this bull pop off over there. We're like, dude, where the heck was he? And he was talking to another bull that was up there. Like, what in the world's going on? So we're like, hey, there's two bulls there. What's going to maybe get them going better than, than in a third bull? Probably a cow in heat. So we start calling off with uh, some cow sounds, and it worked like freaking butter. It was magic. Um, they started going crazy at us, and we could hear them start moving down the top of the mountain, like hear them running. We're like, oh, shoot, we got to get down. So we like hoofed it all the way down, got set up. We barely had time to set up. There was three of us. There was me standing in the middle. My brother was on the far right, and then we had um, another guy with us on the far far left. We barely had time to get set up. I mean, literally walked to the base of the mountain, and almost could see him coming i mean it was it was that fast so fast um when elk want to move <laughs> they move um it's crazy how quiet they are with how big they are but man when they're moving they're loud um so like we didn't know where he was coming because he was pretty thick in front of us for 20-ish yards and then i saw his feet running down so i started you know trying to tell the guys like hey there's something up there and this was before i shot my bull maybe a week before so this bull comes running down. He's right in front of me, like coming straight to me. And uh, he kind of stops in between these two trees. And I drew back waiting for him to step out or do something quarter. And I just, I could not take the shot because it just was something that I told myself I'd never do is take a frontal shot. They're really, really hard. Um, so I was sitting there debating and I was like, no, I, I can't. And the next thing you know, I hear this thwack. It was my brother. He let go and he took it. Um, and man, I've never seen a bigger smile on his face. But when I looked over at him, I went to go give him a congrats and he's sitting there shaking. And and I was like, dude, you got it. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It was incredible. It was so cool. And then again, to have my dad there was super special. 
um his bowl really looks like almost exactly like mine did little little different but um really really similar similar in size um similar in points on them it was cool but again to have my dad be able to be there with us was was really special and um i i keep the the heads and get them mounted and um, taxidermied because that's something i can put on my wall as a um sign of respect for them for one um because I'll, I'll never forget those stories i mean every single item in my home has something has some story attached to it that's hunting or fishing related and i can tell you all of them in detail i can remember the smells the the things i saw um i can remember the day start to finish i mean they tell a whole story in and of themselves um and that's something that's always going to be in my home and my wife is very supportive of that because we get to see those all the time and they're such beautiful animals man and to know that i was um in the right hands and the right people to be able to get that done i mean that was incredible to give you guys an idea um In 2021, um, there were like 89,000, 90,000 people that got tags for elk. 22% of them tagged. They filled their tag. Only 22%. Of those 22%, roughly 10% of them were archery hunters on public land. I mean... Any person that's able to harvest an elk, a bull elk of any size, with an art with archery, um, you're in the top ten percent. I mean, that's that's incredible. I mean, that's something to be proud of, and those are the things that I think are really cool with with archery elk. I mean, it's such a small margin for people to be successful, and there's so many things that have to come together: wind, how well you know the area, how well you know the elk, the language, how well you can call your smells that day, what you smell like, your equipment. So many things have to come in place at the right time to make the shot. That same year, we had this bull. We nicknamed him Barkley because um, elk, they'll do this thing where they bark. Um, it's not like a dog bark. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain, but um, they do this bark. And it's usually a sign of, hey, something's weird. I don't like this. I'm getting out. And it's to warn everything else. Another thing they use that for is if you're talking to them and they feel like they're close enough, they should see you. That's what they do. And if you in turn, in turn bark back at them, that's like a, hey, I'm weird about this too. Like, I also think I should see you. What's going on? And usually that'll save it and help the elk come closer to you. But this elk, he just barked all freaking night for like two hours. He just barked and he would walk circles around us kept 50, 60 yards from us, just walked circles. And we were in a super dense area, so we never got a shot. But I mean, it was the weirdest thing. Just kept barking at us. So we nicknamed him Barkley. And it's my goal to hopefully get back and be able to harvest him, man, because we saw him when he was walking up the ridge back up the, the other side of the mountain. And when I say his antlers touched his back end, they touched his back end. So if you look at the end where the his back rump starts, they start this back arch. It was touching that. It was all the way back there. He's a big, big old boy. So I understand his cautiousness and being, you know, weird and wanting to stay away from us. Totally get it. Um, in reality, we probably had the opportunity. We could have taken him, but um, we did move 
we didn't listen to my dad and just stay put but I mean you were in the excitement and wanting to get that shot so pretty cool um elk are very fascinating fascinating um there are you know deer do the same thing but um they do this thing called um shedding antlers and they they grow antlers every single year in a very short amount of time and they get bigger every year i don't understand the science it makes no sense to me i've also not taken the time to study it but it makes no sense to me i mean every single year they get bigger and bigger and bigger um to give you an idea of what a shed will look like, I've also brought some more show and tell. This is another um, elk antler. This was a shed. Um, it happens when they, they drop them every year um, in preparation for the new ones to come. Um, but this is another elk shed. I mean, look at the girth on these. I, to put my hand around it, no way. Um, I, I do not understand how fast they grow. Makes no sense. But anyways, um, deer do the same. Um, moose do the same. Caribou don't, I believe. It's also two o'clock in the morning, so I could have got that wrong, but I'm pretty sure caribou do not shed, but I got to look it up now. Cause I don't want to sound stupid on a podcast. <laughs> Do you caribou shed their antlers? Dang. Okay. Well, they uh, they do lose their antlers. I did not know that. But I saw, I've also never hunted them, so I, I don't know. But that's crazy. Good to know. But yeah, I mean, just the fact that they can drop them every year and then regrow them is insane to me. Um, insane. And elk are tough as nails. Um, there's plenty of pictures you guys can go Google of um, people, you know, finally harvesting an elk and as they're cleaning it out and deboning it, they find a, a broadhead in their bone and the bone's grown around it. There's elk that have, you know, broken antlers inside of them from when they were fighting during the rut they're tough as nails tough tough animals couple cool facts um winter's brutal it's cold for all of us but um with those elk right they've got those really big thick fur coats um, but they also they've also have some some fat on them to keep them insulated but they also have what's called cross circulation so you and i as humans we have one round of circulation goes um up on the left side of you and then down on the right side, if I remember right. Um, elk have what's called cross circulation. So they have on each appendage blood going in and blood coming out, um, which is really cool. So it helps them stay a lot warmer for um, a lot better period of time. And that's one of the things that helps them get through the winter. But they're tough as nails, tough, tough animals. So if you're, if you're uh, looking into getting into archery, I suggest that you start learning about the language, understand the elk and what they do, um, understand your equipment, get it fine-tuned, and go put the freaking work in because you've got to go find them. Once you find them, it's a lot easier because you can call them to you, um, but you've really got to know your area and know where they're at. Um, I know a lot of guys that'll you know quit for the middle of the day because it's hot, and traditionally, when it's hot outside, they go find shade and they sleep. But 
during the rut, which is mainly when archery is, the elk, there's some big bulls that won't actually go bed down because they know the cows are bedding down and they know the other bulls that they were messing with their bed down and that's their time to go get a drink. So I know guys that will actually go and sit water holes um, during the middle of the day and they've taken huge, huge bulls during that time because they have no guard up. Everything else is sleeping around them. They're good to go get a drink. But these are the things you guys are, are going to learn and will want to learn um, as you talk to more people that, that hunt elk, as you uh, read more articles, magazines, emails, um, part of Facebook pages, um, and then just through pure experience, you're going to learn things. Uh, one thing that I learned this la- last year that was really interesting are was, um, I think they're called thermal pockets. Um, basically, it just is a is a scientific term for how the air flows uh, when it's colder and when it's hotter. Um, as we all know, heat rises, and so during the morning, every like the smells will kind of sit on the ground, and then during the the day and as things go, it'll actually go up. The smells will. Um, so you got to pay attention to a lot of those things and just make sure that um, you're in the right place. Your smells aren't carrying anywhere. Um, and that kind of brings me to my last topic with this. Smells are really important. Um, they can see, but they can't see that well. So they rely very, very heavily on their smell. Um, so my typical process that's worked really well for me is I'm anal about my smells. I probably have a lot of things I could fix and do better with, but I'll run my washing machine on a, um, a full cycle with my uh, non-smell detergent and then I'll put my my clothes in afterwards and I put everything um, literally everything top to bottom everything I'm going to be wearing for that day of hunting or the next day I make sure is washed there my socks my shoes everything gloves hat everything Um, after that I prefer to let them air out but if I'm in an area like Texas for example in San Antonio where all the smells around me will probably stick on them um, I'm probably not going to air them out but I'll do another dry uh, in the dryer I'll do a cycle with a dryer sheet that's special for the, sm- the sense as well and then I'll put my clothes in after and run a full cycle um, it's probably a good habit to even wash out the lint catcher um, after that just make sure you don't put them back inside with all the other clothes that smell uh, make sure you take care of them the right way um, put them in a bag put them um, in a rubbermaid tub with some pine needles or something I don't know something like that and then when it's the day of take a shower people you smell overnight. You, you stink the next day. So make sure you take a shower in the morning, wash your hair, your body, every inch and every crevice uh, to make sure you can get rid of as much smell as you can. Um, I use a scent-free deodorant that's specific for hunting as well. Um, and then when I get to area, I will spray myself top to bottom with a scent away spray. I'll spray my hat again. I mean, everything top to bottom. I'll take my hat off, spray my hair down, um, I take all my layers off, spray in between each, between each layer, um, and then make sure you spray the bottom of your boots. A lot of people forget that, but you were walking around with them at your house or your trailer, or your cabin. Um, they were in the truck, right, riding on the ATVs. Uh, so make sure you spray the bottom of your boot too. Um, and then that kind of transitioned into the last half of the smells and then into kind of the camel, what to wear. Um I personally never recommend you run around with the extra smell. Um, you can get the extra smell in bottles and 
whatever, but I don't like it because I can't tell if it's an elk, elk or if it's me. And I would much rather be able to smell the elk than to have this thing follow me around that I can't tell the difference. Um, last thing with the clothes section is the actual clothes themselves. Um, it really doesn't matter what you wear. Um, they, they don't see color that way that well. Um, so they, like I said, they rely very heavily on smell. Um, I've hunted in Walmart clothes, like Walmart camel for quite a while and it works great. I make really good money doing solar, so I could probably go get some nice camo, but, um, the stuff I have works great. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. But I would love to get in some nicer camo that fits really well and is better quality overall, but you don't need anything special. If you're just starting out, just go get some stuff from Walmart. You don't need anything special, especially if you don't want to fully commit yet and you want to go test the waters. That's where I would start. Then you can start saving up for some of the nicer camo. The thing that the elk actually see the most is going to be the brighteners in your clothes. Um, I don't remember where I heard it or where I read it from, um, but that's what the elk will see the most is the brighteners in the detergent. And I think there's a lot of animals that will see the, the uh, brighteners more than anything. Um, so just keep that in mind. Um, random piece of advice when you're out looking, look for horizontal. Nature doesn't grow horizontally, they, it grows up. So when you're looking through the trees and then out of nowhere you see the big horizontal looking tree, it's probably an animal, so check it out. <laughs> I hunted out in Nyland Park, Idaho mostly, um, ex really exclusively for elk, and um, bears and wolves are up there. I am scared to death of grizzly bears, scared to death. I've never have uh, encountered one. I've never even seen one in the wild. The first bear I saw was actually in Arizona. I was on a fishing trip with my wife's parents or uh, with my wife's uh, parent father and her uh, her brother. And that was the first time I saw a bear and it went running across the road and then they're like, oh, there's a bear, there's a bear. And I laughed. I was like, those are your guys' bears? They're like the size of a dog. <laughs> they're tiny. Ours are like the size of a dang truck, man. Um... But I do want to plan a hunt in Alaska eventually where I can go harvest a bear up there. Um, that's what I do want to hunt up there. Um, obviously all the other stuff, moose, caribou, anything and everything up there. I'd love to go fish the salmon, halibut. Um, but I really want to take a bear up there really bad. I actually think they should put the uh, grizzly bears back on in Idaho. Um, there's way too many of them, way too many. I don't remember uh, off the top of my head how many of there were used to be. Um, we're going to ask Google here really quick. I don't have a Jamie like Joe Rogan, so <laughs> I got to be the Jamie. Um, so there are roughly 80 to 100 bears um That doesn't sound right. Yeah, that doesn't sound right. Let's, let's check again. Yeah, that, that doesn't make sense. They're, they're saying 80 to 100 bears per square mile in Idaho. That's a lot of bears. That's way too many bears, in my opinion. 
Um, it, it's destroying the elk population. So are the wolves. We used to have the like these little tiny like Mexican wolves in there. They were tiny. They, they did just fine. They were a little larger than a dog. That's it. Now we have these um, these gray wolves in there. They're huge. Eight, eight feet long, nine feet long. Huge wolves. And they're destroying the elk population and the deer population. We need to not get rid of them necessarily, but control them, man. Oh my gosh. Um, a lot of companies will pay you. Um, you go harvest a, a, uh, a wolf and they will pay you for that pelt. Um, and you can keep it. They're, they just want to see that you did it and they'll help reimburse you for, for your travels. Like there's a big need for them to be taken care of big big need so um yeah anybody getting into hunting like i was saying um start small smart start with some small stuff go get your bow start practicing go shoot some guns get comfortable with those things understand the animal you're hunting um understand shot placement like that should be the biggest thing drilled into your head over and over and over over and over and over because shot placement's everything. Everything when it comes down to it. Um, understanding the importance of, like I said, um, respecting and loving the animals because you're taking a life. Um, understand that and come to terms with yourself if that's something you can do. Like really sit down and think about it. Um, and just have fun. If you don't get anything, who cares? You created some memories. Every single one of my mounts, like I said, every one of them have memories. And they're going to be life, excuse me, lifetime memories. Things I'll never forget. Things my dad will never forget. Things my brother will never forget. You can't, you can't pay for those kinds of memories. You really can't. Not genuine ones like those. But I'm excited. Hunter. I would love to take you out. We've been talking a little bit back and forth on what that's going to look like in the future. And I think it's going to be sweet. Take you out to Idaho, do some Utah hunting. Uh, we'll start doing some state to state stuff. Pretty excited for that. Um, it's going to be a good time. So let me know in the comments, guys, what your thoughts are on uh, some of the stuff we talked about today. If there's any first time tips or tricks you'd want to give out to your first time hunters, give me a idea of what your next animal is that you want to go harvest or uh, go out and hunt where you want to take your next hunt any exotic hunts you want to do i know there's a bunch here in texas that you can do they're pretty cool but i don't like the pay to play game hate it hate it hate it hate it and on top of that it's more like picking and choosing what you're going to shoot not hunting it <laughs> these you know they've got watering watering holes set up and blinds and they know the exact times everything comes in and leaves so my rule is when I do that, I'm going to tell them, hey, um, this is how I want to hunt. I actually want to hunt. Give me the range of size that I can I can shoot. Um, give me some parameters, whatever. But I want to go hunt it. Hunt it, hunt it as best I can. I don't want to go sit in a stand and sit at a pond and just pick. That's not fun to me at all. That's not how I, I look at hunting. And if they don't want to do it, cool. I'll go find somebody else that will. <laughs> um, a good way to kind of baby step into the aspect of hunting and harvesting something and pulling the trigger, go start with something small, maybe 
a mouse, squirrel, rabbit, something like that. Um, birds, um, coyotes. It's a great one to start because they're varmints. They need to be gone because they are horrible. Um, just start small with something like that. But again, got to come to terms with it. Go check out Elk 101. Um, we got really good content on elk and how to hunt them. Um, those of you that have my number and my email, reach out to me. I'm more than happy to help walk you through how to do that. Um, some things that you can change with your with your call if you want to. Just little things like that. Um, and that's pretty much it. Short podcast. Keep it short and sweet today. Um, as always, typical. Go like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. Helps out. <laughs> go share it. <laughs> but I'll catch you guys on the next one.